Hi. You know what? I remember being a 20-something. It was just a couple years ago, right? Just a couple years, maybe a decade or a couple decades or more than a couple decades ago. But I do remember it very well. And I'm so thrilled that our congregation is interested in the lives of people who are way younger than I am. You can help, you can help their lives grow in Christ. We have this group called Young Decatur. Kids, they're kids to me, they're young adults, really. They come from all over the city. They gather here in a variety of settings, often on Thursday nights. I'm talking about dozens upon dozens of young people. And we're interested in ways in which we can help them grow in Christ, grow in relationships, and plan for their future. In Christmas Give 2021, we are going to be helping that ministry. You're invited to participate. I'd love to see how you would get engaged in Christmas Give 2021. Here's a bit of Young Decatur's story. Hi, my name is Adam Hayes. My name is Morgan McGraw, and I've been attending Young Decatur for around three and a half years. Um, I came to Young Decatur about four and a half years ago uh, with my brother when we were freshmen at Milliken. What I was hoping to experience at Young Decatur was to find people in a similar situation, first time away from their parents um, at a new school, um, and trying to live as a Christian in a different place. So initially what I wanted to experience at Young Decatur was a sense of community, but I did not expect the familial love that I was gonna get from it. So initially I just wanted friends, community, a Christian community specifically. So with Young Decatur, we do weekly Bible studies and we do weekly game nights as well that for the most part we all participate in. And then depending on the season, we will go to pumpkin patches together, or we just had a group of individuals go to the Northeast Community Fund last week to do Thanksgiving dinners to package them. So yeah, it just kind of depends. Some of the growth I've experienced at Young Decatur has been a lot in my faith, but also in pursuing faith with other people. Um, I've definitely learned over the last couple years how important um, this faith walk is with other people. I have changed a lot and grown a lot since I've been at Young Decatur. Uh, I would say in terms of having people around you that speak biblical truth to you consistently, that's been one of the biggest ways that I've changed. I noticed when I first started going to Young Decatur that I had a lot of worldly perspectives on things and I didn't necessarily want that. So I would say my biblical perspective has changed a lot along with my, my confidence around people and around other Christians as well. I had to put on a lot of different hats. Uh, I was a nursing major, a football player, um, an RA at one point. Um, but here at Young Decatur, I've really been able to just be me, a man who's trying to lead the best life that God's trying to teach me how to. That's why I come here. The community of Young Decatur has meant a lot to me. Uh, there's so many of us that have walked through a lot of difficult things while we've been at Young Decatur, and those things would be so difficult to go through if we didn't have each other. So that's something that I'm so thankful for. So the future of Young Decatur, I hope that we can continue to grow. We have done so much expanding in this last year. It's been amazing, and I just hope that we can continue to do that continue to get some diversity in there and just get people from, from all young adult age groups and ethnicities and things like that, everyone that we can just get to come in together, but just that we continue to expand. Um, 
it's not just this building that creates fellowship, but um, you know, we go back to school, we go back to work, we go back to wherever place in the world that we are, um, and we know that we have a support system. And I just, I hope that it continues and that young people keep coming here and know that they have a home here. Man, that's like a sermon in itself. I just go sit down. So I'm like, really? <laughs> Man, so to see what was just a small group of students, uh, just a few years later, be more than 50 kids that are, are students, young adults, uh, uh, to use the language properly, uh, that are a part of this ministry. I was asking uh, Pastor Thomas about it, and I said, you know what, you know, what do you attribute this to? And he said, honestly, it's just relationships and one invitation through a relationship after another. And I just am reminded that I think we as less young adults uh, could take a cue from our young adults as we think about even this upcoming week, prayerfully considering the relationships we have in our lives and considering now who it is that we will invite this next week to one of our eight identical Christmas services. And as we think about um, not only the reality and the importance and the, the instruction to invite someone and with that, what it is we're inviting them to, I think about our passage we're going to look at today, actually. It speaks right to this, and that is Luke chapter 2. So I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible here in this room, there should be one in the pew rack that you can use in front of you. And then uh, for those uh, at home as well, worshiping online, there's also a, a way online to get a, a digital Bible there too. And so Luke chapter 2, uh, you've heard a little bit of the story already uh, read in our worship from the kids, uh, but just to bring us up to speed on what's happening, the context here is that Caesar Augustus, he has issued a census, and so Joseph and Mary, and Mary being with child, they go off to Bethlehem where they uh, need to register for this census, and we'll pick it up there in verse 6. It says that while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth. Boom, Christmas, it just happened. Did you miss it? There it was, verse seven. She gave birth, Christmas, Jesus is born, it just happened, and the course of human history with it. And with that, you think, okay, this is big news. We need to get this out, and it's a little different than it is now. We don't have social media feeds or the 24-7 news cycle. So I'm wondering, okay, how do they get this word out? Who's gonna be you know, the first to hear this news? I mean, this is important stuff. And from what I do from living, I think, okay, we gotta get the religious people involved, right? So we gotta get the, the priests and the pastors and the scholars and the theologians, and they gotta you know, do their thing and get the word out. And so let's see if uh, they take my advice here in uh, Luke chapter two and get it to the religious folk. Uh, see who gets to be the first one to hear this good news about Jesus, verse seven. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, Christmas happens, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And then it says, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. To them. Now, if I could add um, a little bit of junior high girl inflection to this verse, I don't know if you're allowed to do that, the junior high girl, uh, mean girls version, it would say something like, to them, as if. 
You guys don't do junior high girl talk where you live? I've got a nine-year-old. She does it quite well. Uh, she's not quite there. Oh, <laughs> don't you, girl? She's a, you, won't, you won't deny it. Okay. Okay, so why is it? Why the mean girl, sarcastic, surprised, like to them, to the shepherds? I mean, we know that the shepherds are a key part of the nativity scene. Uh, I mean, we even have some of you maybe memories of thinking about nights like this where you have kids on stage, you know, maybe dressed up as shepherds, dressed up in bath towels and bed sheets because that's what Middle Eastern shepherds wore back then, essentially. And so we have God, he sends an angel to appear to these shepherds and we're like, yeah, obviously, like we have our own junior high voice, you know, obvi, obvious, we know this, it's part of our mantles, nativity scene, it's part of our, you know, Christmas plays with the bed sheets and the towels, so what is the big deal? Why is it a surprise that the shepherds are the first to hear the news that Christmas just happened? Well, if you could make a list of a hundred of the most important people who you would think needs to most be the first to hear about Jesus and the coming of him at Christmas? Well, the top 100, Time Magazine's 100 most important people, the shepherds on the list, they would be somewhere around 101. Uh, actually, they wouldn't even be anywhere on the list because when it comes to what we know as kids dressing up in bath towels and bed sheets and what we see in our nativity scenes was not normal in those times. That would not have been the expected guests at the nativity scenes. In fact, the shepherds would have been the last, the least likely to be invited to such a monumental moment. And here's why. In first century Judea, the shepherds, they were at best considered outsiders. Uh, but at least, and most often, they were usually considered troublemakers. Uh, they lived on the outskirts, the edges of normal society. In fact, they were so mistrusted that their testimony, if you were a shepherd, your testimony was not admissible in a court of law. First century Jews actually believed that, um, that God didn't like shepherds, and that so Jews just kind of followed suit and didn't like them either. Uh, the most pious Jews, they wouldn't even purchase goods like milk or lambs or wool from shepherds because they would assume it was stolen. The religious elite of the day, they saw them as unclean, filthy, unwanted, and outside of God's favor. A philosopher in Alexandria, which would have been like one of the, you know, I guess the intellectual epicenters of the world at the time, he went as far as to say, there is no more disreputable an occupation than that of a shepherd. But God, but God, great phrase all throughout scripture, but God, but God in his sovereign design, his master plan, he decides, verse nine, that an angel of the Lord appeared, yes, to them. And for us, there are 101 reasons why each of us might feel like we fall in the them category. Maybe very closely to the shepherds, you feel like in some ways you are on the outs. Uh, whether you think about you know, whatever the social circle is at work, or maybe even it's with your own friends who are supposed to be the ones including you that you sometimes feel on the outs with. Maybe it's your own family, ironically, that you feel that you're on the outs with. And subconsciously, it leaves you wondering, are you on the outs with even God too? Or maybe the shepherds, uh, like the shepherds, who didn't have a great reputation, maybe in your life you would say there are some things and for different reasons or different categories, you don't have a great reputation. Uh, 
And maybe if you're honest, you say, I've actually done the stuff that leads to that kind of reputation and just accepting the truth that God really does forgive me and wipe the slate clean in his eyes is just something that's too hard to believe. Another way of looking at the struggle, maybe it's like a different kind of struggle that almost invertedly that you're not actually on the outs. In fact, maybe the way that you're actually feeling like you're unlikely to connect to God or maybe not even realizing it is that it's actually is because you could say you're on the in. That maybe it is that you're actually doing well. Jesus said it this way, that when you're doing well, he says, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I think there's lots of versions of what we might call rich or doing well. Uh, There's probably the most obvious that if all your physical needs are met, then it's easy to not depend on God as the one who provides for those physical needs, provides you with the gifts, the abilities, the resources to be able to go out and provide for you and yours. But maybe there's other ways you're rich. Maybe for you, you'd say you are rich relationally. Uh, Maybe you have a great marriage or you have uh, a great standing where you work. Or or maybe students, maybe you're you're like top dog on your team or in your activity or your social group. And you subconsciously, because you are relationally rich, you forego the most important relationship that is actually meant to inform all our earthly relationships, your relationship with God. Or maybe for you, the irony is you are actually intellectually wealthy. Um, And it backfires because you have this insatiable need to have all of your answers for all of your questions and it's an appetite that can't be satiated. And and maybe for you, it causes you to turn just like a blind eye to, to be missing out on what historical Christianity would call like the mysteries of the faith, of what Psalm 42 calls a deep, calls out to deep kind of faith. And so there are a lot of reasons in one form or another that we have that we might find ourselves actually unlikely to be the last, to be the least likely to encounter the God of the universe. But for the shepherds, despite their long list of unlikelies, last and least, God chose them. God chose them. And because we have shepherds in our nativity scenes, we know that obviously God showed up to them. It must have went well because we know how the story ends. They get a direct invitation up to the hospital room. They get to see the baby. All is well. But we know this after the fact. We know the story. We have the book from 2,000 years ago as it's been recorded. But the shepherds, in real time, they would not have known this before the fact. They would not necessarily have assumed that God showing up would have been a good thing. I mean, so putting ourselves in their shoes, let's see how the story ends, pretending like we don't know how it's gonna end. Verse nine. It says, so an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were, it says, terrified. The response to Christmas is terrified. And if you think about it, it's understandable, because the only thing worse than being unlikely is for God to show up And you know that you're unlikely because at that point you're just assuming bad news. I mean, think about it. If these guys actually lived up to the reputation of thieves and cheats and liars by actually stealing, cheating, and lying, well, then God showing up and shining all around them, that might not be like comfort and joy. That could be like, oh, man, that's bright. Uh, 
How many lightning bolts are getting ready to come down? Look out, Larry, it looks a little shinier around you. I mean, this is not necessarily good news when the glory shows up. And so naturally, they were terrified. And the reason that the shepherds are thinking, you know, maybe lightning bolts instead of, you know, good things when the glory of the Lord shines around them is wrapped up in that key word in that verse that we see, glory. Glory. The best way to translate that word glory for us would be the word weight, like heaviness. Like in that field that night, the weight of God showed up. It's a kind of weight that's heavier than anything else. It outweighs even the weight of the universe of which God's weight used to create the lesser weight of the universe. And it's in that glory, the weight of God that shows up that everything that's in its path, that it is going to push through, it's going to reshape, it's going to redefine, it's going to reorder everything and everyone, glory of God encounters. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. Recently, our daughter, Callan, uh, who is nine years old, uh, she just signed up to play basketball for the very first time. And so nearly every day when I get home from work, she asks, Dad, can we go play some basketball? To which I say, sure, I agree. And then we go out there and I destroy her. <laughs> we lower the hoop to eight feet. I dunk all over her. I'm you know, against Callan. I'm powerful. I'm fast. I'm strong. I'm unstoppable. I am great. Now, let's pretend for a second that as we're playing basketball, that the back door to uh, our house opens up and in walks LeBron James. LeBron James. Now, if you are not a basketball fan, <laughs> well, I miss it. I miss it. So LeBron James walks in. Oh, oh, gosh, that's funny. No, I know. That's good. Photoshop. Very good. So if you don't know who LeBron James is, he is uh, the greatest basketball player ever since Michael Jordan. And if you don't know who Michael Jordan is, I am sorry. <laughs> I cannot help you. Uh, and so, okay, so yeah, so now in the presence, the weight, the basketball glory of LeBron James, you know, am I powerful? Am I strong? Am I fast? Am I great? No. No, no, and no, yes, they're answering from the crowd, yes. So, so just a second ago, I was great, I was awesome, I was something, but all of a sudden, when LeBron walks on the court, I am nothing. And so often, we go through this life really thinking we're, we're okay, we're pretty good, we might even think we're great, but then the glory, the power, the perfection of God shows up in our presence, and it's like, okay, I think I can't coexist with LeBron on a basketball court. I definitely can't coexist with what Romans 3.23 says, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God because of our sin. So there's glory big, and then you add our sin to it, and it's so far removed, the reality of how much we can't stand in the presence of who God is. And candidly, that's why these shepherds are terrified. And these shepherds, they, they didn't have to go to Bible college to know what happens when the glory of God shows up. You know, living in Israel, they would have known that when God shows up and the glory of God is in their midst, stuff happens, and honestly, people die. And so they're terrified, naturally. Verse nine, they were terrified. And so a healthy fear and reverence for the power and the glory of God, that's a good thing. But then what does God do with this moment with these shepherds? What does God choose to do 
in the Christmas story with all of his glory, all of his weight. Is this bad news and lightning bolts for the shepherds? Verse 10. But God. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. God, in his goodness, he leverages all of that weight, not uh, for their or fast forward to our destruction, but here in the Christmas story of Jesus and all the good news of Christmas, first for the shepherds and then for, quote, all people, verse 10. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And then Jesus himself, he would go on to live out those words in his own words, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he uses his weight, his glory to save the world through him. And so that is good news for all people. That is good news here for the shepherds. And so what do these shepherds then do with this good news? Jump back into me, verse 15. It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Then from there, the shepherds returned to their flocks and to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You know, for Christmas, I, you, we, we have lists. Uh, we have lists of things we want for Christmas, though as adults that tends to not be a reality, so we have kids, you guys have lists, we have lists of things that we are going to get for people like you and for others, and we have grocery lists, and we have cleaning lists, and then we have this other list that's not in a straight line, but it's in a grid, we call it a calendar, and this list is places we need to be and people we need to meet with, and then we have, do you have lists of lists? Like so many lists, you have to make a list of the lists you still have to make, and the Crazy thing about all these lists that surround us at Christmas, none of them, none of them are in the original Christmas story. None of them are on the original Christmas list, if you will. And so I would say to us, if we are serious about recovering, about reclaiming Christmas of Scripture, the one that we see in this story of the shepherds and God showing his glory to them, then we would do well to look at the Christmas list that the shepherds give us and the way in which we can put a check according to the shepherds uh, next to each of those things. There's only two things on our list that we need according to the scriptures here. Verse 20, this is on the Christmas list from the shepherds. Number one, they glorified and they praised God for all the things they had seen and heard. And number two, verse 18, they spread that word concerning what had been told them about this child. They spread the word about Jesus. 
And so I'd ask you, are these two items on your Christmas list? Starting this next weekend, we have Christmas services for number one, verse 20, so that we will gather, we will give glory and praise to God for what we have seen and what we have heard and what we have experienced in Jesus Christ. And two, with that, knowing the realities of God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, who came, yes, as a baby, but then to live, and not even the primary purpose to live, but the primary purpose to die on a Friday for the forgiveness of our sins so we could be made right with God and then rise on a Sunday for the gift of a new life, too, for us, both in this life and for all of eternity. For that reality, we give him praise, and with that, secondly, we spread the word concerning this good news that we have experienced in our lives. As a church, we have the privilege to be partners together in this, that this Christmas we have eight identical services together, as in not three services, which is like the usual deal here, but we have an extra five with the understanding, the expectation that you are going to bring people, invite them to those services. And so in turn, together we have planned a service with your unchurched friends, your unchurched family member, your unchurched neighbor, your unchurched coworker in mind. So that together we can be what it says in Colossians chapter four, that we can be wise in the way that we act toward outsiders, those who are outside of the church. That we can make the most of every opportunity and let our conversations be always full of grace and seasoned with salt, meaning it's good to talk to us uh, about things of God, so that we may know how to answer everyone. We wanna be wise in the way that we act toward those who are outside of the church. Translation, there will be no snake handling at this Christmas service. This is not part of this year's service. But what there will be is a clear presentation of Luke chapter two, verse 10, good news. That will cause great joy for all the people, or as the Christmas carol we all know so well, tidings, which means news, good news of comfort and joy, true comfort and joy, and how your friend, your family member, your coworker, your neighbor can take the next step in discovering that good news in their life, that wherever they're at on that journey with Jesus, wherever it is they are at, that they could take that next step and discover who Jesus is and what in the world Jesus has to do with them. Because John three sixteen through 17 is true. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is true, but so is the next verse. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. God sent his son into the world to save the world through him. But it is up to us, each and every one of us as an individual, to either choose to believe and accept or to not believe and reject. And so together, let's assure them, our friend, our family member, our coworker, our neighbor, that the light of Christ that shines on them and in their lives is not one of lightning bolts, but one of good news. The kind of life that they, should they choose it, starts with them, but also starts with an invitation from us.
And so last week, we challenged you over the next 21 days, we said, leading up to Christmas, to buckle truth around our lives so that we can live in the truth by looking at the scriptures on a daily basis. And now this week, we challenge you to answer the question, who will you invite? Who will you bring? And to help you with that, um, we have like a digital invitation. So if you wanna text someone or put it on uh, like social media or something like that, there's like this QR code deal here that if you just hold your phone up to it and take a picture of it, um, maybe if one person wants to hold a phone, it would make me feel really good right now. Anyone? Nick, he's in my men's group. He's got to do that we're talking about. So yeah, you could just hold, it's kind of, if you've never done this before, it's just kind of novel. I just, I didn't actually know how this worked until very recently. I am not in young Decatur or a child. So, uh, but yeah, if you just hold your phone up and you take a picture of the QR code, it'll take you right to the digital invitation. Rail is helping me out. I'm almost like looking for more friends. Who are my true friends? Look how these people are taking pictures. You're a friend. I got some good friends. Okay, so it'll take you right to the digital deal there, and you can text that to somebody. You can share it however you want. And then uh, for those of you who, like me, uh, still like the physical side of things, this is a physical invitation um, that is out in the lobby. You might have got it when you walked in, and you can grab them. They're on all the tables out there. Grab as many as you will give out. Uh, just heard from last week, somebody actually put one in every one of their Christmas cards that they send out, which I thought was, uh, was, was pretty cool to, to do it that way. So I love it. We are part of a journey of our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors to find true comfort and joy this Christmas season. It finds its end in Jesus Christ, but it begins with you and me. Last passage, Romans 10. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so we as the church, we have the privilege to make it our top priority on the only list that matters this Christmas season, to be the beautiful feet. Feet are gross, they're not beautiful, but what is beautiful is the good news that our feet can bring when we invite and we bring people to encounter the goodness, the good news of the good God we have in his son, Jesus Christ, who came at Christmas, who came and lived and died for them. Amen. Amen. Yes. So let's pray for all of us as we step into that challenge this week. Heavenly Father, we see that your list, and we're here in prayer, uh, we're, we're, we're kind of checking it again twice, uh, to run it by you, to ask that your Holy Spirit would be infused into what you've called us to do. And so number one, above all else, in everything we do, both in our services that we celebrate here in the week ahead, and in our daily lives, we number one, we give glory to you, our God, and then number two, we want to share that. We want to obey what you called us to do, to share and to spread that good news. That when it comes to that friend, that family member, that coworker, that neighbor, we don't want, um, we don't know if this invitation will be the final link in their chain to a relationship with you, but God, may we not be the missing link in the chain of that journey as we invite them, as we bring them to be a part of what you're doing in them, as we plant seed and water seed, it says in Corinthians. We wanna be planters and waters of the seed that is your good news, but it is you that grows. And so we leave all that in prayer with you in the name of Jesus, amen.